The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Samaritas, the state's largest private foster care and adoption agency. However, Samaritas also provides a number of other services around the state. They are one of the largest refugee resettlement agencies in Michigan. They serve homeless families, persons with disabilities, abused and trafficked women. They also provide market rate and affordable housing for seniors and HUD housing for families and also have skilled nursing, memory care and rehab communities in Grand Rapids, Cadillac and Saginaw. Samaritas, we thank them for their support here at Deadline Detroit. Hey everybody, happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Fawley Show on Deadline Detroit. Thank you very much for being with me today. Now, the world is kind of on edge right now with uh, China and what's happening in China and Hong Kong specifically. Protesters have been, well, protesting quite a bit over the last several weeks there. The Chinese government is responding by amassing troops near the border with Hong Kong. And what's that going to mean? We'll talk to my friend Tom Watkins about that. He is in China as we speak frequent guest on the program, and he'll give us his take on what is happening there and what he is learning while in China about what the Chinese government is saying about these protests. So stay with us. Should be an interesting conversation coming up. A lot of people around the country right now and around the world, frankly, are watching very, very closely what is happening in Hong Kong. Protesters there have been disrupting that community for many weeks, protesting uh, what originally started as a protest about extradition policies from Hong Kong to mainland China has escalated into a, a much more large-scale protest uh, in, in which people are reacting to the way that police have responded to the protesters. We are watching the government's message on this change from originally saying there are some troublemakers or some hooligans causing problems to now suggesting that terrorism is afoot. Is that going to give them the license to crack down the way that they did back in Tiananmen Square back in 1989? Well, the whole world is sort of watching this, but somebody who's watching it from the inside right now is my friend Tom Watkins. He's a China-U.S. business and educational consultant. He, of course, is the former state superintendent of schools here in Michigan and was also the president and CEO of the Economic Council of Palm Beach County, Florida. And he spent much of his time over the last several decades in and out of China doing this work, and he is in China right now joining us for this conversation. Tom, it's always a pleasure. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show. It's absolutely great to be with you, Craig. Well, you know, you are somebody who has spent decades traveling between the United States and China in your role. Uh, you were there uh, in Tiananmen Square uh, back when the protests were happening back in 1989. And when you see what's happening in Hong Kong right now, how much are you reminded of what was building uh, in Beijing at that point in time? Well, it's uh, very reminiscent of what was transpiring at that time because uh, the Chinese government was embarrassed uh, uh, by the protests that were happening. And, uh, you know, you wondered how long it was going to go on. Uh, and on June 4th, or the night of June 3rd, uh, the Chinese uh, People's Liberation turned on the people. And uh, as we all recall, it wasn't a pretty scene uh, where many people were injured and up to a few thousand people were, uh, were killed. Well, and we still don't know the official tally there. Um, yeah, that's, it's that's exactly it's almost impossible to know. But, you know, what we are seeing here in the United States, and you were in China right now. I should let folks know that you are there right now. Um, what we're seeing is some video of, of troops that are starting to amass just on the outside of the border of Hong Kong there. 
Uh, there's definitely some troop mobilization going on of some kind. It, it looks more police than military at this point in time. But what are you seeing uh, on Chinese media? How are they treating it right now? Well, it, it seems like they're sending a, a warning shot uh, across the bow of Hong Kong and the, and the protesters, showing very clearly that there's a, a, a massive force that is building up. Ironically, uh, Shenzhen, which is right across the border from China, uh, was the first place to open up by Deng Xiaoping, the leader that followed Mao Zedong, uh, to open China to the world. So here on the other side of uh, the border of Hong Kong, the first opening uh, of China to the world, uh, a massive show of force is, is building. And it surely seems to be uh, to send a very clear message that if things don't change, something could change in, in a very drastic way. Well, I'm interested to know how they are playing this on Chinese media in terms of what they're telling the people on the mainland, because there's always been, I don't want to call it a disconnect, but, you know, uh, mainland China has been different than Hong Kong in the way it's been managed uh, for a long time. So so how are they trying to spin this, if, if that's the right term, to the people who might be watching in places like Shanghai or Beijing? Well, clearly it is a spin. I mean, the Chinese media is part of the Chinese government. They're one and the same. Uh, there's no separation. There's no free press. Uh, in the People's Republic of China. And so they're conveying a message that uh, there's, there's some hooligans, troublemakers. And in fact, one of the most troubling signs is that they're calling the protesters terrorists. And what that they're doing is terrorism. And when you set that up uh, in, in that fashion, uh, then it enables you to take some pretty drastic action because it's not people calling for freedom or democracy or exercising what we would say in the West is our right of free speech, the right to free assembly. Um, no, they're saying that it's a terrorist act uh, carried out on the motherland and uh, that if something drastic happens, i.e. Uh, the military uh, comes in or the, uh, the quasi-police force comes in, uh, that those acts would be justifiable in the eyes uh, of most Chinese people. Um, when you talk to the average Chinese citizen, what they'll tell you is that there's troublemakers that... I just lost you, Tom. Tom, are you back? Yeah, can you hear me? I can. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was a purposeful cutoff on, on somebody's part over there or not. But um, yeah, yeah, that happens. So you were in the middle of saying um, uh, mainland China and, and the opinions there. So if you want to sort of pick up where, where I think I lost you. Yeah, the, the, but the people here in, in China, if you were to talk to an average Chinese citizen, uh, what they're seeing is, uh, is troublemakers causing uh, concerns uh, for the motherland and uh, that their government would be uh, within their rights to carry out whatever act that they deemed appropriate in order to bring the sense of disorder back into a sense of order. Well, I mean, look, Tom, Hong Kong has always been a little bit different, obviously. Uh, you know, the Chinese government has taken more of a hands-off approach when it comes to Hong Kong because it was such an important uh, part of, of their commercial success, their economic growth for so long. Are they looking for an excuse to assert more control over the population in Hong Kong? Are they worried that somehow that's getting away from them? Well, if you look in Chinese history, uh, there's always been a greater concern 
that there would be an overthrow from within or problems and turmoil from within than from without. So there's always a tremendous sense of anxiety um, that, uh, that they would lose what's referred to as the mandate from heaven, the ability to govern, uh, the will of the people to allow uh, whatever reign, uh, whatever emperor in today, the Chinese Communist Party, to, to take control. So when they see this level of discontent, it is a, a very uh, frightening prospect, I think, to the Chinese leaders. I'm wondering from, you know, uh, from a Chinese person's perspective, somebody who does live in mainland China, the average citizen, how do they view Hong Kong and the residents there? I mean, is there a sort of a, a, a maybe a jealousy at the relative freedom of the Hong Kongers as opposed to uh, mainland Chinese? No, I think that most Chinese people of life over the last 40 years have, have vast, vastly improved. Uh, one of the great things that the Chinese Communist Party can take great pride in is that they've moved more people out of abject poverty than we have people. Maybe six to 700 million people have moved from barely getting by uh, to moving into the equivalent of the middle class. And there has been kind of a, a, a trade-off that the, uh, the people uh, will allow uh, content with their government as long as their lives continually to improve. And it has been a 40-year uh, rise uh, uh, of Chinese uh, life improving uh, in, in unbelievable ways. I mean, take in, as an example, Craig, in 1990, there was no such thing as private ownership of a car. Now they're the largest car manufacturer in the world. Uh, when I first came to, to China, um, uh, Shenzhen, um, you know, was was just barely getting off the ground. A village of 300 million, 300 million, 300,000 people. And today it's one of the most modern cities in the world with over 10 million people. Uh, so the rise of China has been uh, unbelievable and uh, uh, remarkable uh, in, in world history. Well, Tom, I'm wondering, you know, how aware the citizenry is uh, in China right now about what is going on between the U.S. and China with this escalating sort of tension over trade, uh, the possibility of tariffs, a trade war brewing, and whether or not that's going to impact the options that President Xi has to deal with what they may be deeming as terrorists at this point in time, even though we see them as protesters uh, and, and who are basically making a statement about, about their condition. Well, clearly uh, the, the Trump tariff trade war I lost you again. Well, we apparently have lost Tom Watkins. Uh, I'm not sure about the quality of the internet signal over there in China, but uh, we will try to get him back at some point soon. Uh, but we'll be keeping an eye on the situation in Hong Kong and, and making sure that it doesn't escalate to something uh, much more serious. But it could have a huge, huge impact on the U.S. relationship with China. President Trump so far has been unwilling to signal uh, any real sort of support for the people in Hong Kong for fear of, of upsetting trade talks with President Xi, that may have an impact um, and, and be a fundamental shift in the way that the U.S. has handled these things in the past. Anyway, we'll try to get Tom back at some point on the program soon. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we've got some more to talk about when we come back in just a little bit. Craig 
Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news. Hey, welcome back to the Craig Folly Show here on Deadline Detroit. I apologize for the technical glitch we had with Tom in China, but uh, again, uh, I'm not sure about uh, the quality of the internet where he is, but uh, we got cut off a couple of times, tried to reconvene, but um, we'll catch up with him again, uh, especially as things warrant further explanation. Well, but this does give me a little bit of time to talk about something, though, that I've been meaning to talk about for a little while. In fact, if, if you listen to my previous incarnation of this podcast uh, from about this time last year, as a matter of fact, this is something that I talked quite a bit about. And the reason that it's coming to my attention now is that Bridge Magazine, my friends at Bridge, just did a study taking a look at what is going on in schools when it comes to librarians and literacy. And Michigan, right now, has a situation in which 92% of the schools statewide do not employ a full-time certified librarian. A 73% decline in the number of librarians between 2000 and 2016. That's one of the sharpest declines in the country, according to Bridge. And again, the national count dropped about 20% during that period. And right now, this is the number that you need to remember, because this is exactly where we do not want to be. Michigan currently ranks 47th in the country in the number of librarians it has per student. That is shameful. Absolutely shameful. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of discussion about education reform in the state and that we need to focus on, you know, the basics, math and science and reading. Well, guess what? Librarians and libraries are a huge part of reading. Getting kids to love reading is a huge thing to creating lifelong learners, which is what we're looking for. And as soon as we just sit there and think that all we need to do is create somebody who can create widgets on a machine and create little robots that are good for business, that's a problem. I had a librarian in my school when I was a kid. She was a wonderful person. I would read a book. She would then make recommendations for other ones to read, knowing the kind of stuff that I liked. And I learned to become somebody who loves to read. I do it all day long, every day. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. It leads to smarter people. Now, I'm not suggesting I'm that smart. Those of you who listen to me on a regular basis know that the opposite can be true. But at the same time, I like to think I'm intellectually curious and I try to learn new things every single day. Most days I succeed because I read. And part of that was started back in kindergarten when I first started going to school and I had a teacher that would encourage me to read books and we went to the library a couple of times a week. And they had bean bags and places where you could sit and read in a little corner and be by yourself and learn new characters and discover new stories and go on adventures. That's what reading is about. And it's a huge part. It's a huge part of learning to learn. Being able to break apart a novel and understand the themes and plots, character development, all that kind of stuff is exercise for your brain. It's all stuff that makes us more curious individuals. And when we are more curious, we are more willing to explore different ideas, distance, different solutions, listen to each other, get out of our bubbles, be made uncomfortable at times. But again, just to discover and to learn. Library science programs, they have a bunch of them, but if there's no jobs for these librarians to take, nobody's going to go into it. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, there's not enough librarians, so we're not going to hire one. Well, there's not enough money for a librarian, so, yeah, oh well, we're going to go without. Michigan ranks 47th in the country in the number of librarians it has per student. 47th. We should be ashamed. In fact, with what's going on with our funding for education, I've talked about this in recent weeks and where we're actually at right now when it comes to our level of achievement in schools, especially when it comes around literacy and reading, is an embarrassment. It is unacceptable. 
and here's, here's what we're doing. Instead of investing in kids' education and thinking about maybe, maybe there's a reason that we're falling behind in reading. It's because we don't have people that are encouraging it on a daily basis and working with students and trying to engender that love of reading in them that, frankly, will last them a lifetime. We're not doing that. And it shows up in our test scores. It shows up in our performance as a state. And instead of actually investing, like I said, what we're doing now is saying, you have to hold back a third grader who's more than a year behind their peers in reading. So we're punishing the kids for not being able to read or not reading enough, but we don't invest in the things that actually are going to encourage reading and, and build skills in reading. Librarians do that. Literacy experts do that. And it's amazing what happens when you teach a kid to read and you encourage that. I was at the library the other day, my local public library, getting some work done because I like to do that. It's a good place to work. It's quiet. And I saw a kid go in there, and his mom was sitting across the table from me, and she sent him over into the children's section. He came back with 10 different books that he wanted to check out. And then the librarian came over and talked to him and said, oh, if you like that one, you'd like this one, and made recommendations to this kid, and his eyes lit up. He was all excited, and he said, Mom, can I take out these books? And she let him. He took out 10 books, and I guarantee you that kid went home and he read them all and then came back to get more. He was engaged. He was excited. That's what we need. And having that person encourage that kid and get him excited about reading was something that was cool to watch. And it happens in schools when they have librarians all the time. If they don't have librarians or time to spend in the library or even a functional library in a lot of cases, then guess what? Don't be shocked when the kids don't read. Don't be shocked when they fall behind their peers nationally. Don't be shocked if we start seeing a whole bunch of third graders held back because we did not give them the tools they need to succeed. That's on us. There's something very, very wrong with our educational system if we don't see the value in investing in literacy. We've got a whole generation of kids that have been deprived of the experience that I took for granted, going to the library, hanging out in the library, learning from books. That's a problem. And we're not willing to look at what the real problem is here and what the solution is. Spend a few bucks. Get a librarian in your damn school. Give kids the time to spend in the library every week, just like you would with a music class or a gym class. All these things are important to the whole health of a kid and the whole learning of a child through their lifetime. So if you can't see the connection or you don't think it's important, just look at where Michigan ranks right now, 47th. And we are well in the 40s when it comes to our reading scores right now in the country. Now, I do see one positive sign of hope that is out there right now. Now, I have no idea if this bill is going to go anywhere, but you've got three Democratic representatives, Adam Zemke from Ann Arbor, Darren Camilleri, he's from Brownstown Township downriver, and Christine Grieg is from Farmington Hills, another Democrat. They have introduced a bill that would require a librarian in every school in Michigan. Now, I'm not sure what kind of a hearing this bill is going to get. Republicans actually control the legislature still here in the state, but it would be nice to have Governor Whitmer come out forcefully and say, you know what, this is something that we need to do. This is something we need to see through. Because if you can't see the results of our disinvestment in our kids' education, in the numbers that we are seeing right now for Michigan and where we are performing, it's not hard to figure out the disconnect here. You disinvest in reading education and literacy programs, and guess what? Our illiteracy rate climbs. We want Michigan to be competitive. We want to have the talent. We want to be a place that companies want to locate because we have smart, engaged people. But everything we have done in the last couple of decades when it comes to education has been in the exact opposite direction. And then we wonder why we're falling behind. 
not falling, fallen behind, tumbled in the rankings as to how good a quality education you get in the state. And it's not just in the inner cities. It's not just in poorer communities. It is in wealthy communities as well that we are seeing declines in literacy. This is an emergency situation. And having people in place to actually deal with that emergency and help to stop the damage and stop the tumble that Michigan has been on when it comes to our literacy scores, that's something librarians and teachers working together can accomplish if we give them the resources and the tools. And frankly, if we give them a librarian. I highly recommend, highly recommend you go to your school board meeting in your community. Ask them what their plans are for this. Are they going to have money in the budget? Are they looking at ways that they can include this as part of their programs? Some schools have them, but others don't. Too many don't. You saw those numbers at the beginning of this. Again, just to, just to bring this home here and to let you know how disturbing this is. 92% of schools statewide do not employ a full-time certified librarian. 92%. And again, a 73% decline between 2000 and 2016. Who decided this was a good idea? Well, we've got to make cuts. We better cut the librarian or the funding for the library. That might have been the most short-sighted and stupid decision that any school administrator has ever made. And I understand they're under tremendous budget pressure. But who thought this was a good idea? I, for one, have never thought it was a good idea. And it's something that bothers me a whole lot. And I've been talking about this for years. Librarians make a difference. They're not just there to tell kids to be quiet and, and shush them. They play an important role in the development of young minds. And if you don't have them in there, there's a lot of kids that might not know or might not even think to explore the world of reading. Sometimes it's just that one person giving them a little push that makes all the difference. But if you don't have that person to give them the push in that direction, guess what? They're not going to go in that direction. We should be embarrassed. We should be ashamed. We can do better than this, Michigan. Make those phone calls. Talk to your school board. Talk to your principals. Talk to your state legislators, the governor's office, everybody, and tell them this is something we need to fix because guess what? Michigan can't afford to be 47th in anything. 47th? Sink, let that sink in. 47th. Well done. This is not unfixable. But I'm not willing to waste another generation of kids. You shouldn't be either. Thanks for listening today. This is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Tomorrow, Friday, the week that was, Alan Langel, Nancy Derringer, and I will be talking about things. Again, thanks to our friends at Bridge Magazine for doing the research on this story. Just wanted to make sure that they get credit for some of the things that I was reading there. So anyway, have a great day, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow. The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services.